and a hearty welcome back to Spiro Avenue. I'm happy to be with you tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. There's a lot to cover in the city of Detroit right now. You know, let's face it, Michigan's a hot spot for, for a lot of sports topics right now. Detroit Lions hot in the media. They're the big, big ticket item right now on Twitter, uh, on ESPN.com. Everyone's talking about the Detroit Lions. And let's face it, the Lions aren't normally in that basket. The Lions are not really on anybody's radar unless they're going 0-16. So enjoy it for better or for worse, as bad as the Cleveland Browns were last year. They got a lot of attention, and it's fun when the people are talking about you at school, right? Well, we are the cool kid at school, or maybe we're the class clown that everybody laughs at. Whatever it is, we got attention, and if you like attention, you got it in Detroit. Everyone's talking about what the Detroit Lions are going to do at pick number three. Do they take Tua? Do they trade down? Do they take Jeff Okuda, the cornerback from Ohio State? Who knows, right? We don't know. That thing's been going on, I don't know, for what, two months we've been talking about that nonstop? Talk of the town. But today... Today we broke the mold of the past two months. Mike Silver of the NFL Network, reputable guy, knows what he's talking about, reports that there is buzz around the league from multiple people he has spoken with that Matthew Stafford, a longtime quarterback for our Detroit Lions, wants out. He is fed up with Detroit for whatever reason. I can only imagine what his reasons are. I'm sure I agree with pretty much all of them and then some. That's the report from Mike Silver, reputable guy, reputable source for this information. So do I believe that there's some truth to it? Yeah, I do. I don't think Mike Silver would make that up. The question is, what do the Lions do with Matt Stafford if it is in fact true? Does Matt Stafford want out? First of all, Matt Stafford's not the type of guy that's going to demand a trade or hold out or refuse to report to camp, so that's kind of off the table. You know, you, you see uh, clowns like Antonio Brown and Jalen Ramsey, they're going to hold teams over a barrel. Stafford's never going to do that, so you can throw out that scenario entirely. Just dismiss it in, entirely. It's not going to happen. So absent of that situation where he's forcing the Lions' hands, I see everything related to the situation, tying back to the draft and what the Lions do at pick three. And I see three scenarios that the Lions can go here. I don't see a fourth. There's three scenarios that they can go with, and two of them I'm fine with. They can take Tua, hot shot quarterback out of Alabama with the bad hip, and sit him for a year, let him redshirt essentially behind Matt Stafford and keep Stafford on the books and then roll over with two as your starter in year two. Or you can trade back, acquire more picks, and you can still add one of those uh, sexy defensive players. Door number three, which is not acceptable, is you sit there at three and you just take Derek Brown, Jeff Okuda, one of these solid defensive players that, for all we know, might be all pros. But you hold all the cards in this draft at pick number three. And if someone jumps up at two to take Tua or the Redskins take him, no problem. Chase Young at three. No one's going to be mad about that, least of all me. And, you know, if the Tua card is taken from you, you can't fault the Lions for not playing it. They certainly shouldn't trade up to make sure they get him. But absent of a trade up ahead of the Lions to take Tua ahead of them at two in Washington's slot, the Lions should either take him and redshirt him for a year essentially, 
or trade back and acquire more picks. There's no excuse to sit there and take a really good defensive player at three who's probably going to have a very good career here, have a bunch of six and seven win seasons along with the rest of this uh, sad sack of mediocre crap that has infested this organization my entire life and the entire life of my dad who's much older than I am. You're telling me as big of a wrecking ball, as big of a beast as Derek Brown is out of Auburn, that he's going to show up and that's going to be the difference between a three and four win team, three and four win organization, and a team that's competing for playoff wins, Super Bowls, God forbid. I don't care how good he is. And Dominican Sue showed up here and was Godzilla. Team stunk. They had one good year with him. One. Didn't even win a playoff game. Par for their course. So if you have an opportunity to change the trajectory of the franchise by taking Tua, I think you do it. I don't think Stafford's been the problem. I think Stafford's been a very good quarterback. But sometimes, you know, you just need a change in CEO. And your quarterback, make no mistake about it, is your CEO. And the company's not doing well. And sometimes companies make a change at the top, not because they blame the CEO. Maybe something happened that's out of their control. Maybe there was something that that happened that they, they couldn't, foresee that no one could foresee you know maybe they're in a bad economy or whatever it is but the juju is just off so I completely absolve Matthew Stafford of any blame because I think he's done better job a better job than almost anyone on the planet could have done walking into this horrible organization and make no mistake they're a horrible organization they are terrible to a, a degree that's nearly unspeakable I'm not saying he's blameless. He always never had a bad game, never cost him a game. But in totality, I absolve him. I don't blame him. But do I think it might be time for a change? Yes, if the assessment is that A, Tua is healthy, and B, Tua is a generational talent at quarterback. Now, I'm not Mike Lombardi. I'm not a pro scout. I happen to think that Tua is that level of talent, and that was the consensus about him up until this hip injury, and this hip injury is the one asterisk holding him back in the two ankle surgeries before that from being a consensus number one overall pick ahead of Joe Burrow, who just had the best season ever. But let's not forget, you fast forward, what, eight, nine months? The entire 2019 college football season was about one guy, wasn't about Chase Young, wasn't about Joe Burrow. It was tanking for Tua. That was the guy that you had to get if you wanted to change the trajectory of a terrible sad sack franchise. That's the guy. And if you're the Lions, what do you have to lose? If you think he's that level of talent, but there's some red flags with the hip, but he looks good in his pro day, you take him. You take him at three. You just do. And if it doesn't work out, What's the worst that's going to happen, Lions fans? You're not going to win a playoff game? How long have you guys been alive? Unless you're like 100 years old, you haven't seen much of that anyway. They have one playoff win in almost 70 years. So this whole fear of like, oh, you can't take a hip risk with Tua. We got major health flags all over the place. Who cares? Who cares? The one thing I know that will not change this franchise's trajectory and change the identity of the Detroit Lions, the one thing I know that won't do it is drafting Jeff Okuda, drafting Derek Brown, drafting a corner or a D-lineman. Those positions are important. They ain't quarterback. Name me the precedent in the history of the NFL where a team was terrible forever, for years and years and years. You can't find many precedents like the Lions because they're historically bad, but even just, let's say, 10, 12 years of incompetence. 
And then they drafted a cornerback high, and everything fell into place. No track record. None. Where you see struggling franchises turning around, the Patriots are not the Lions, but pre-Tom Brady, they were kind of up and down. Made a Super Bowl, so they're better than the Lions. But they were flawed deeply as an organization. Brady shows up, they win like crazy. The Colts were kind of a joke. Never really got anything done. Drafted Peyton Manning 1-1 in 97, and they were off. So that's what you need. You're not going to change the, the juju of the Detroit Lions by drafting a cornerback. Now, I will defend the Lions if Tua yields a a godfather offer from somebody and they can slide back to 5-6-7, still draft an elite defensive player and add another first-round pick, I'll defend it. It's door number two and it's still acceptable. But if they just sit there at three and take a cornerback or a defensive tackle, they're out of their freaking minds. They're stupider than we even thought. Stafford's very good. Matt Stafford is very good. And that cap number, the cap implications for trading him this year, make him basically unmovable. That's why I would take Tua. I would sit his ass behind Matt Stafford, let his hip heal, let him do uh, IT band stretches all day. Who cares? Do whatever you got to do. Pat Mahomes sat out for a year. You're right behind him. Matt Stafford's a B-plus quarterback. He's very good. I've defended him for years. I like Matt Stafford. I'm not criticizing Matt Stafford, but he's a B-plus quarterback. B-plus quarterback is not going to get this thing turned around, and I don't even know if anybody can, but I'll take my chances at a potential A-minus, A, A-plus quarterback prospect to do it over a B-plus guy. What do you got to lose, Lions? Just take take the freaking quarterback and move on. Who cares if it doesn't work out? But they're not, they're not going to. They won't. I think they're going to park their ass right at three and take a D-tackle. I think they're taking Derrick Brown. That's where I think this whole thing's going to land. And it's just endlessly hilarious. It really is. The Lions, the one thing I'll say about them, you can really count on them. You can really, really, like, Certain teams in my life, Michigan State basketball, the Detroit Tigers, you know, pre-Chris Illich era, will get there. They, they just break your heart over and over again. Lions can't break your heart. I mean, if you are brokenhearted by the Lions and you're older than, like, nine years old, you're a moron or a loser or C, both A and B. There's no excuse to get roped in by this team. None. You can care. You can cheer for them. I'm with you. I'm a sucker, too. But who gets heartbroken? Really? The Detroit Lions are going to break your heart? That's why I don't care. Take the quarterback. Let's roll the dice. Let's roll, uh, let's roll the dice. Let's take a chance. I'm fine with it. I'm used to disaster. What, what am I going to be risk-averse as a Detroit Lions fan? The Detroit Lions, there's no risk when you have nothing to lose. What, are we going to squander the, the sterling reputation of the Detroit Lions franchise if we screw up this draft pick? What are you squandering? The team stinks. They've always stunk. Take a chance on a potentially transcendent quarterback to completely change the culture of that organization overnight. To a transcendent talent, Tua is a A A plus character guy. Take a shot. While we're staying on topic of things that make me very upset, Chris Illich. Um, I got to tell you guys. When Chris Illich speaks, 
I just want to uh, blow my brains out. I'm I'm sorry. I, I for those of you who haven't caught this yet, Chris Illich is down in Lakeland. He made his you know biannual appearance uh, on the face of the earth. He's in Lakeland for half an hour today, taking questions from reporters. He sat in on the the broadcast of the spring training game. And he's getting peppered with questions about the rebuild and, and where he stands on things and how he thinks things are progressing. I Another case where I have to pull up the actual quotes and break them down. This, this is just preposterous that anyone buys this stuff. And hopefully none of you do because you got to be uh, just completely out of the loop with what's going on here, what's gone on here the last four or five years. you got to be completely out to lunch if you buy any of this. Let's start with this. I'm going to read these verbatim. These are all quotes directly today from Chris Illich down in Lakeland. Quote, we know how to win. We have rebuilt the Tigers successfully before, and we're going to do it again. End quote. Let's talk about this. We know how to win. We've done it before. That's great, Chris, but it wasn't like this. The turnaround that your father engineered was totally, nearly totally, on the backs of free agent spending. The whole ball got rolling in 2004 when Pudge Rodriguez, who was fresh off a World Series title with the Marlins, had a bad lumbar back and no one, a lumbar in, issue on his back. No one wanted to touch him, and you signed him for four years, $40 million, big money at the time, believe it or not. You, you bid against yourself, or your dad did, and that got the ball rolling. The next year you signed Maglio Ordonez to a big contract in 05. And that's what got the ball rolling to 06. It was big spending. It was especially relative to what had been happening. The Tigers didn't sit there and stack up elite prospects and intentionally tank for five years. It wasn't some, like, drawn-out plan, and then they pounced at the last second and, and grabbed Ivan Rodriguez and grabbed Maglio Ordonez to put him over the top. Signing the free agents was the first thing they did. Chris Illich is saying they're doing it as the last thing, and he's promising. It's all promises at this point. We haven't seen anything tangible, nothing. I'm not saying, I am not saying that I disagree with the model. I think you probably should accrue a lot of high draft picks and build that way and then supplement. But to act like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I've been here before. A, that was your dad, and B, he didn't do it this way. So we don't know that you know what you're doing at all, just generally, and we don't know that this way works with this organization and with this leadership group because we haven't seen it. So th- this is like someone who has built a car and it says, oh, you know, I, I am the expert car builder. I know how to build a car. And then someone asks him to build a boat and he's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I built that car. And like Maybe you know what you're doing, but that's a leap of faith. I don't know. You haven't demonstrated that. That's even worse it's not the car builder, it's the car builder's dad. My dad built cars, so I know how to build this boat. What the hell are you talking about? You're, you're relying on this quote. i got to read it again. We know how to win. We have rebuilt the Tigers successfully before, and we're going to do it again. Where is this bravado coming from? This is the most unearned sense of confidence I've ever seen in my life. And this is coming from a guy that knows Jasper Apollonia. The, the bravado, the, the chutzpah, to, to declare that you know what you're doing and you've done it before, you had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with it. That was your dad. 
So don't pull rank on me, Chris Illich. Don't cite your resume because you ain't got one. You ain't got a pretty one, I'll tell you that. Let's continue. Next quote. Quote from Chris Illich. I believe in the process. We are not going to get there overnight. End quote. Okay. I I agree. Rebuilds take time, right? But let's not act like we're in phase uh, one or step one, two, or three of this rebuild. This team hasn't been to the playoffs since 2014. They haven't won a single playoff game since 2013. They have a three-year record of 175 and 310. They've averaged over 103 losses a year for the last three years. So no playoffs in five years. That's half a decade going on the sixth year this year because they ain't making it this year. So after this year, that's six years of no playoffs. That's going to be a four-year run where you're averaging 100 losses are pretty darn close. I mean, they're going to have to to only lose 90 to get that average down. So you have a four-year run averaging 100 losses. You haven't made the playoffs in six years. Again, sorry, I'm taking a leap of faith. They're not going to make it this year. So I get I, I get that rebuilds take time, but you're kind of running out of time to play this whole like, oh, you know, this takes time. Be patient, be patient. I've been patient. I've been patient, pal. It's six years. Feel free to spend some money. I'm not saying I want you to go sign Josh Donaldson and his creaky 36-year-old back to big money. I'm not saying that. But there's other ways to supplement the organization's uh, minor league system to expedite the rebuild. There's ways to do that, and we'll get to that in a second. But how long are we supposed to wait? It takes a lot of balls to ask for patience when we've already been sitting here getting our teeth kicked in for more than half a decade. Enough's enough. Enough's enough. I don't want to hear it. No one should want to hear it. We've been patient. Enough's enough. Make your move. Do something. Let's continue. Another quote from Chris Illich today down in Lakeland. I, I just It gets worse and worse. Quote, I am encouraged by the growth of the young players. Our top prospects are putting on great performances in camp. End quote. Prospects are nice, but there's zero tangible results at the MLB level. None. We haven't seen one guy that was drafted two, three, four years ago hit it in any meaningful way. Jake Rogers, who was part of the trade, the Verlander trade, got to the big leagues and fell on his face. There's no sign of anything working out. So I'm glad that you like what guys are doing uh, against 20-year-olds in Erie, and hopefully they advance well to Toledo this year. But we haven't seen any sign of a competent uh, scouting report conducted in the last half decade. And it, it goes beyond just the prospects. Like, where is the the bargain free agent for the Tigers that, that hit? They were signing guys left and right on, on the bargain bin. Matt Moore, Tyson Ross, Jordy Mercer, Josh Harrison. They all stunk. They all either broke in the first month of the year, their body just broke, or they stunk, or some combination of the two. There is no tangible sign of anyone performing at the major league level, either from the bargain free agent pool or from the prospects ascending quickly. And don't act like, I'm sorry, Avila's had control for four years. That's enough time to draft a guy who's a college junior or senior or whatever and have him hit the big leagues within an Olympic cycle. Come on. This isn't year one or year two. 
So get your shit together. And what this, this whole notion that like, oh, Al Avila is going to have money to spend. Al Avila had one offseason where he had big money to spend, and he signed Jordan Zimmerman to the worst contract in the history of Detroit sports. Literally. You want to give me Miguel Cabrera? Nope. Miguel Cabrera's contract was a thank you, and the guy hit for at least a couple years of it. Zimmerman was good in April of his first year, and it's been four years and counting of absolute garbage juice since. It's been terrible. So why am I excited for Al Avila having money anyway? Which That's if he gets it, and that's debatable at best. Speaking of that, this will be the last quote. I, I had like three more. I'll just do one more. Quote from Chris Illich down in Lakeland. When the time is right, Al Avila will have the resources he needs to sign free agents. End quote. Why would I believe him? Why would you believe him? Can we believe him? Can you believe Chris Illich? Have you guys seen the status of the District Detroit lately? Well, don't worry. It doesn't matter if you haven't checked in lately because it's the same status as it was three years ago. It's a big arena and a bunch of parking lots around it. So if you've been down there since 2017, you know everything you need to know about what's going on in 2020. You're all caught up. You know exactly where we stand in Detroit if you were there three years ago. No development. This is a guy who sat in a boardroom with the representatives of the city of Detroit with a couple of his lackeys by his side and had these glorious Artist renderings of buildings, sparkling bejeweled arenas, uh, bars, restaurants, uh, affordable housing, upscale housing. It, it was like a mini Detroit Disneyland in these artist renderings and said, look, guys, if you just give me $400 million in, in subsidies and tax breaks, I'll deliver this. Just, just If you just give me that 400 mil. And the city did it because they always get uh, embarrassed in these situations and they're always outclassed and they're overmatched in the room. They give the $400 million and nothing is built. Even the arena, the one thing that was done is a lesser version than what was promised. Go look at the original renderings of that that bejeweled, uh, illuminated roof that the astronauts can see when they're uh, traversing the moon. That's not what Little Caesars Arena looks like, folks. That's not what it looks like. The one thing they actually did build, they didn't build it the way they said they were going to build it. So that's the guy that you want to trust now. He says when the time's right, he's going to have the money to spend that he needs. A, you have zero credibility. Look what you did in the District of Detroit. And B, again, as we already covered, even if you give them the money, do you have the right guy in place to make those decisions with those scarce resources? Because make no mistake, those resources are not going to be Mike Illich resources. They will be scarce. If this team ever does get into the free agent pool, it'll be for one or two marquee players, not four, five, six like Mike Illich did. And you want to bank on Al Vila to make that, to make that pick? The guy hasn't had a hit since J.D. Martinez. That was a long time ago. And I would argue at this point it was more luck because it certainly doesn't seem uh, representative as an example of anything this guy has proven in terms of baseball acumen. So that's Chris Illich. Chris Illich promising you big things, saying stick with them, be patient, even though we've been waiting six years for a team to be competent on the field. But, you know, hang in there. 
because just like I delivered on my promises for the District Detroit, I'm going to deliver the Detroit Tigers' promises as well. Good luck, folks. You want to buy that? You can buy it. You can buy it at my local Walmart. That is staying on the shelf because I ain't buying it. You can have it, and you can have him. You happy Tigers fans, this is what we got. This is our life now. Hope you enjoy it. Now, let's transition to this. A little bit happier news. We'll hit this real quick. Michigan State hires Scotty Hazelton, defensive coordinator, formerly at Kansas State. He looks like a member of the Night's Watch, so that's always a plus. You know, you look at this guy's track record, he has hopscotched all over town. I saw that he's had like 27 coaching stops, and I figured he had to have been in his 80s, but he's only in his like mid-40s. So that's kind of eh, maybe a little off-putting. But hey, 2020, 2021, 2022 maybe, great. Good hire. The guy shows up, defense gets better everywhere he goes. Wyoming, drastically improved. USC is a position coach, drastically improved. Jacksonville Jaguars position group was great when he was there. Showed up to Kansas State, was the only team that stopped Oklahoma all year long. I mean, he's good. It's a good hire. And, and just in principle, I like it because Michigan State finally, with this abundance of pool money, went out and got somebody that was already making a good salary somewhere else and just stole him. I read he was making 575 k at K-State, which is good money. He got about a, what, 25% raise into the 750 range at Michigan State. K-State couldn't match it. Like, Mel Tucker had a conga line of former Michigan State assistants that were on their couch, former Michigan State assistants that were twisting in the wind after D'Antonio retired, former Colorado assistants that weren't that desirable to begin with in terms of the market. Maybe they're great. High school coaches with no college experience whatsoever, and the potential of Cedric Irvin, who is like sitting outside uh, of Mel's house on his hands and knees pleading. So you look at this huge pool that Michigan State had access to for funds, one of the biggest in the country, and they're hiring a bunch of guys that you could have gotten on Mark D'Antonio's old budget or even less. So I am relieved that Michigan State went out there, got a guy that a lot of teams would love to have, and stole him. So I, I think it'll work out. I think it's a good hire. But even if it doesn't work out, I like the balls. I like, I like the, the feel of the program where, you know what, we want this guy. We're going to go take him from you. Oh, he's already making like a higher end wage in the NCAA D1 ranks. No problem. We're going to just dwarf that offer and blow you out. I love it. I love that they did it. They finally flipped someone for big money. They tried. They went for Vince Merrow at Kentucky. I respected the hell out of it. I don't blame him for not getting it done. It seems like it was undone gettable. But uh, they made their move, and they made a good move. So, you know, I'll hit the Michigan doctor thing. I didn't really want to hit the Michigan doctor thing. This Dr. Robert Anderson story, it's so fresh. It's still kind of unfolding. There's stuff. The Larry Nassar story broke a couple years ago at Michigan State, and we're still finding out new shit. I mean, that thing was litigated to an extreme degree, and we're still finding out stuff. So I'm not, like, eager to jump into the Robert Anderson pool. Robert Anderson, this doctor who died in 2008 and is probably having a cocktail with Timothy McVeigh in the lowest level of hell as we speak. But I I will say that this latest story where Dr. Robert Anderson from Michigan, according to multiple accounts, was trading sexual favors in the late 60s in exchange for help getting out of the Vietnam draft. 
where allegedly, according to multiple uh, accusers, they were told that they were uh, had to register for the draft in Vietnam, and part of that process was getting a physical. They had to go get a physical, and they uh, the whispers were out there, go to Dr. Robert Anderson, and if you blow the guy, he'll say that you're gay and that you don't have to go to the, to the draft, which is the fact that like a gay guy couldn't fight in the war is just a whole other, like, I can't believe that was even a thing, but it was. But this, this story, it, it's, it's a terrible story. Facts are still coming out. There's multiple reports, though, multiple reports that Michigan knew what this guy was doing. They knew exactly what was going on, not the entire world, but the culture up there. Multiple people in positions of leadership knew. There was a report today that a wrestler reported the doctor, blew the whistle on him in 1975, and he was kicked off the team for reporting him. If that's not a cover-up, I don't know what is, assuming that's true. Again, I'm nervous about even getting into these waters. The bottom line is this is a horrible story, and it is not rivalry fodder, Michigan State fans. Don't be what you hate. Don't be what you hate. I will say, if you were one of those jackasses out there that were just glowing about the Larry Nasser story for the last two years and were bringing it up in discussions about football and and uh, zone defenses, I think this is a bitter pill for you to swallow. If you were one of those maniacs that took pure and utter joy in the Larry Nasser story and bringing it up every single day, not saying you should have never brought it up, but you could be talking about uh, Cassius Winston and somehow Larry Nasser gets brought up. For those people, it's tough, and it, it's comeuppance. And the lesson is, and, you know, I made a mistake, too. I used to make fun of Jerry Sandusky, and I had a little bit too much fun with that in my day. So I probably got my comeuppance to a degree with Larry Nasser. But this is a human story. It's not a sports story. Just because there's athletes involved doesn't make it a sports story. Athletes, it's, they're just human beings that happen to do uh, a sport in their free time. So if you're a Michigan State fan, just get the hell out of the discussion in terms of the, the – I'm not saying you can't talk about the story, but – don't, don't do the trash talk thing. And if you're a Michigan fan that reveled in the Larry Nasser stuff, well, yeah, there you go. Lesson learned for you. Lesson learned for you. Don't do it again. So that was it. I, you know, I'm not going to get too deep into that. Don't come here for Dr. Robert Anderson updates because I don't got them for you. You want you want to hear Chris Illich bitching. You want to hear Detroit Lions bitching. You want to hear Michigan State basketball bitching about how the team looks uh, softer than Charmin Ultra Soft. Come here. I got that for you. I don't think I'll talk about Dr. Robert Anderson again. But that's Spiro Avenue. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, we had a lot of fun today, so hope you uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you have a hell of a weekend. We'll be back next week, you know. And, uh, hey, Michigan State's got a big basketball game against Maryland. So, uh, you know, cross your fingers for us. And if you hate Michigan State, you know, cross your fingers for us anyway. Be a good guy. Thank you, Spiro Avenue. Justin Spiro, your host, as always. We'll see you next time. Thanks.